Hello, and welcome to the Riddle Love Podcast. Interviews and anecdotes for the inquisitive souls of today. <laughs> Front of mind for this week's episode is the subject of self-care, which to me is a journey. After the years on this earth, looking at all my ancestors and public figures, observations, and feeling their feelings, what we've been through, I'm curious about how our relationship to tending to the self, especially in the midst of a seemingly cruel world. As a highly curious woman, I wanted to know a bit more about the past and present uses of self-care messaging. And it has become perhaps one of the most interesting topics I pursue. So if you're like me, I deeply hope you find this episode a thought-provoking one. I'm bringing it down to earth. I'm adding in the deep magic of remembering. Firstly, the concept of the self is as old as humanity. So think back to our cultural heritage, to intentional communion with self as part of what is sacred and central. I'd say the men of ancient Greece probably preserved, perverted the meaning by demoting women as not quite human. But that's a rant for another day. <laughs> Self-care as seen through indigenous rites of passage, religious ceremony, and healing journeys are all self-care rituals. But I'm opening up this episode with a nod toward the word, words self-care, the term as popularized in American culture. Good old American culture. I mean, we get a bad rap deservedly so but we give as much as we take i think nothing showcases this better than the rise of the term self-care it's twofold but as far as i know self-care started being used as a medical term in the mid-1900s to and about the medical community both as a protocol for high-risk workers needing to tend to themselves before tending to others, but also just recognizing that the chronically ill have little perceived autonomy in general. And so self-care became a way to explain what a person could do to positively impact their well-being. Additionally, the term was then revitalized in the mid-1960s as a political act that through intentional personal habits that impact physical health, you divert what colonial patriarchal systems have set out to wreck. So, I was refreshed and renewed to learn that the coining of self-care is connected to the justice movements that fueled Baby Rudo to be an activist. Additionally, <clears throat> I'm delighted... <laughs> when the erotic is connected to contemporary self-care and linked to liberation and power. Whether it's Audre Lorde's The Erotic is Power or Esther Perel on why eroticism should be part of your self-care plan, I cannot resonate enough how pivotal pleasure is in redirecting stress. With that, I will admit my own struggles. I don't particularly find pleasure practice easy in fact, I found the idea of scheduling in pleasure when it's hard to break out of daily routines particularly daunting. <laughs> Self-pleasure in the face of shame, postnatal depression, and failed relationships felt painful. I got help with this, y'all. There are sexual wellness coaches out there 
I worked personally with Michelle Casey. And there are a lot of amazing ones out there. Eroticism and self-care isn't so crazy, nor is it just about sex. Eroticism is our experience of life. It's how we experience the senses and our senses are our greatest gift in life. For many moments in my life, my body was a prison of discomfort and shame. And through compassion and permission to explore myself again, I found pleasure pouring out of my waking and dreaming life. To imagine it flowing again, I had to tap into when I wasn't feeling anything. And not to freak out, just to reach out. Try it. If you simply ask yourself now, I turn myself off when... For me, it's... I turn myself off when I scroll through social media without purpose. Notice, this is nothing overtly sexual, but it cascades into my life's capacity for pleasure. So I ask of you, what does your body enjoy? What do your senses consistently respond well to? And savor it. Pile it on. For me, it's my aromatic alchemy oils. Shout out to Aurora Alchemy. And looking at flowers as, and pretending that they're flirting with me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You will have your ways to savor the erotic as an act of self-care. If you check in and notice your pleasure practices are sparse and few and far between, perhaps follow the sage advice of erotic luminaries everywhere and schedule it in. Isn't it fantastic to imagine how many ways you could infuse your life with more intentional pleasure where where attention flows energy goes additionally pace is a major reset to just between you and me go slow go super slow than your idea of slow this is me talking to me if that feels good for you that's cool And now for something completely different on the topic of self-care. I offer up an invitation to view the earth as self. I summon ecofeminism, Starhawk or Vandana Shiva, for example. They ask us to consider health and well-being in a global way. One planet, one health. If we approach self-care from a biodiversity lens, then it's ending the use of toxic pesticides, plastics in our waterways, liberating farmers from monocrops and environmental contaminants. Self-care is assisting our pollinators and using heritage seeds. These are all acts of self-care. Here are some amazing self-care check-ins I've formed from a Vandana, from a, from a Vandana Shiva discussion. <clears throat> so check in on one, how our words and paradigms have changed our priorities. This one is amazing. For instance, look at the evolution of the word resource changed from meaning a spring that emerges and renews with no external influence, changed by capitalism to mean raw material that can be exploited. Two, 
how we honor all cultures. I'll dig into this a bit more when I summon the words of Audre Lorde. Three, pay attention to appropriating or greenwashing and people who don't want to be accountable. I translate this check-in as purchasing power, as self-care, knowing where your dollars go and also supporting your favorite small business. Did you consider this as self-care? I do. Four, do not give up your power. Now, this is so fantastic because Vandana Shiva is checking in with our inner activism and also something else. For me, I want to dive into healthy boundaries and learning about those as self-care practices. So more on that in a sec. But I want to end my Vandana Shiva chapter with her question, what is your revolution? I'm tacking one word in here for my podcast, what is your self-care revolution? I ask that of you. Mine, if you care to know, is my self-care revolution is growing flowers and things to eat, especially ones that I want to eat and not just should eat. My self-care revolution is claiming my own standard for beauty and diversity. My revolution is talking about pleasure and being a loud and disagreeable woman. <laughs> my words, my body, this land, my actions of love and honesty are my fight against theft of culture, colonial standards of property, and my way of casting seeds is sharing words of hope more often than words of condemnation. Remember, trust is neo-colonial. By trusting that the natural world is safe, by honoring the earth, I trust and honor myself. Mm. Are you feeling the juice? <laughs> my loves self-care is a kissing cousin to self-love in fact this whole family constellation lives in the galaxy of love and joyfulness so being that i'm a fan of this woman's words i'll invite her in Brene brown researcher philosopher a woman who took the social psychology of shame and vulnerability to such mainstream prominence that I dare say she is a voice of our generation. I want to collaborate with her messaging for a minute and take her top 10 rules for self-love and add my culinary spices to them. Add some Rudo love reflections. So, number one, you are enough. Let me tell you a secret. I have a momentary panic at the thought of visiting people's houses empty-handed. It is not enough that I'm coming to their house with love and my special exuberant presence. I am in a panic if I don't have chocolates, oils, art, food, a plant, something, something to offer. Now I am not going to assert this impulse to bring an offering is needing to be calmed. I think it's good to share abundantly, but you see the underlying fear there is that I am not enough without a lasting gift. My personal time is not enough. And this mindset is so deep seated that I forget my own presence and quality. Time is an offering within its own weight. So when I hear Brene talk about this, I think that first. Plus, all the other good points on offer, like simply knowing that joy will always trump scarcity. 
In Brene's research, she asserts that just by saying I am enough, we have our way out. Two, share your whole story, your whole heart. It takes an act of courage to begin storytelling. The root of the word courage is cur, heart. I'd like very much to work on sharing my whole story in a courageous way by normalizing the mess and normalizing thriving with no major proof of success. My, my story is fundamentally internal. I don't have property or accolades that speak louder than the culmination of just this, who I've grown to be. I like the idea that I'm tending to myself when I allow space for the times I've not gotten it right, when I've failed miserably but moved on, made something new from it. 3. Engage with the world. Culture is out there. You have culture because of the world you exist in, the birthplace of your ancestors, and being okay with failure, mistakes, hurt, it requires you to engage and not shut down. 4. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love. Honestly, the place this comes up for me the most is my role as parent. I do not climb up with I am. He sees all of me. <laughs> and I am so vulnerable with him. Sure, I'm strong and together. And when he needs to unravel, I honor his need to express his sorrow or pain. And he knows he's safe with me. He sees me, and I see him. Which can be blindingly terrifying with most people, except for this incredible child. I'm so comfortable with him seeing to the core of me. Five, get vulnerable and feel those difficult emotions. My, my self-love journey has been about actively relating to my difficult emotions like rage. It's been such an act of bravery and vulnerability to show myself publicly as not okay. I'm not okay. I'm simultaneously unraveling and flowing in joy. It's very me. It's very complete now. Six, talk to yourself like someone you love. Do things for yourself and your loved ones that surprise you and delight you. Simple gifts you give to yourself and others which stack up to show how much you love yourself in our moment of unworthiness reach out to someone say that you're internalizing bad thoughts about yourself shame cannot survive in the light of being spoken to seven let go of your armor so in Brene's world she's often talking about working with therapists while you let go of your armor and I cannot stress this enough, when you take something away, what practice are put in place to help you? So talking about those protective mechanisms requires a developmental milestone, as she would say, a moment when you slowly and brutally unravel where all those things we think protect us are removed. The weight of the armor is now keeping you from being known and seen and loved. Self-protection is an overdeveloped instinct understandably so when considering how terrible humans behave so a good therapeutic journey will help navigate that de-armoring because it's no joke 8 
let go of perfectionism. Perfectionism is what I, is, is like, what will people think? And if you're there, then you're not doing something brave. I would add that self-love and self-care both have come to show me that I'm not the issue. I'm not broken. <laughs> this world did a number on me, but I'm not a problem I need to solve, but rather to grow to my fullest imperfect but fantastic self. If I'm more patient with my own imperfection, then I can certainly be more patient with the rest of y'all. <laughs> Nine, get grateful. Get grateful. Get grateful. 10. Practice authenticity. Interestingly enough, for me, this is my authentic no routine. I've been way more honest about things I don't like, things that don't sit right, walking away from situations or people just flat out refusing, disengaging, withdrawing my presence as an act of authenticity. I've spent my whole life people-pleasing, and it's done. <laughs> I'm polite most of the time, but I do sound off. I do say no. I don't like that, or I don't like them, or what you just said, or I'm done. Oh, bless. This is not an excuse for people to think that authenticity gives you license to say anything, irregardless of its impact on others. We still got to take care of spaces, people. We still need to consider the damages that we can incur and front up to mistakes. I've made mistakes. Hopefully I'm not making them over and over again. Additionally, Brene says in her research on authenticity, she didn't find inauthentic or authentic people, just practices. It's a choice. Moving back to the opening chat about America's contemporary use of the term self-care, I wanted to talk about the phenomenon of the vernacular to combat trauma. In particular, the trauma caused by the 2016 U.S. presidential election and beyond. After the D was named president after the shock and horror sunk in, we were being reminded on every social outlet there was to practice self-care in this dark, dark time. Teary-eyed and scared, millions of us faced the horrific future of misogyny and polarization as acted out by the worst president in history. Sorry, darlings, I'm just reminding you of how our terminology escalated in reaction to very public toxic masculinity and the permission it gave so many angry men. So... In Rudo's world, let me share. Rudo's reaction to toxic masculinity that thinks it can dictate what my body should be used for look like the antidote is juicy. I believe for me, my most potent self-care practices come in the microseconds before I become ashamed of how my body exists in the external world. In a crowded bus, as my thick thighs and broad shoulders scope creep into the other passenger's seat, I practice self-care by reassuring myself that my presence is not an inconvenience, assuring myself of my radiance and therefore being radiant as a result. Self-care is a reversal of a narrative that says my body is too ugly, my body is too big, my size is not correct, I am not a viable, desirable, acceptable woman. 
<laughs> no, this is not the woman my mother raised. So in spite of and in response to toxic masculine paradigms, I start to take up more space. And, and not just physically, I take up space in the airwaves, in meeting rooms, in my life. I control my comfort and my presence. And with this, just a tiny reminder to always check in. Am I sucking up all the oxygen in the room? Am I being an emotional vampire and depriving my community of their turn to speak? Just a reminder worth putting out there for those of us still unpacking our privileged backpacks. So, taking up space, this is self-care, and it is one that I feel we are simultaneously more or less able to do, situationally more or less able to do. If I were in Kentucky, I may really have to use my safety radar before doing this, for my upbringing has taught me there is nothing more dangerous than a group of men out to do violence who have noticed a vulnerable person taking up space. So, there is situational context here. I am constantly in practice with this. Setting aside this point, once again, I'm going to return to the purest offering of self-care as concept. Self-awareness. Solidarity. Self-care practices are aligned with these things. When I choose to relate to myself in new and uplifting ways, I am doing this in collaboration with my community, intending to the people around me. I am fed and my loved ones are fed and together we make a world worth rejoicing in. Moving into healthy boundaries. Self-care is tending to our borders, our boundaries. What is mine is not yours and what is yours is not mine. Self-help thought leaders popularized healthy boundaries. And it's really cool to see this conversation going front stage. But in its purest form, our boundaries are basic rights. The right to say no, the right to be treated with respect, the right to have my needs be just as important as others, the right to be accepting of my mistakes and failures, and the right to rest. When you believe in these personal rights, you stop people grinding through. You stop self-sacrificing. And let me tell you, it's been an incredible evolution of mine in the last five or so years, not only setting healthy boundaries to protect myself, but in keeping myself from overextending into other people's boundaries. I remember talking about this in perhaps the first episode, that desire to solve other people's problems and slowly weeding myself off of it. <laughs> I'm so grateful for... For one, a Buddhist-like partner who exemplifies compassionate non-attachment. He's not aware of how inspired I am, that I learn from him. I found a healthy amount of stillness inside my heart simply by being near him. Like a constant mantra, I echo inwardly, what is mine is mine, and what is theirs is theirs. I'm loving the last year of my 30s. I love that before I hit 40, I have this much underway. So here, here to the much needed progress of self-care through healthy boundaries and clearing up of the muddy waters of projection. 
clarity and boundaries. What a wonderful and beautiful way to close out this beautiful monologue of mine. I am here cheerleading each and every one of you on to invigorate and expand into your perception of care, into what wellness looks like for you, for your society, for your planet, for the vast energetic field that reverberates off of you like a bountiful, beautiful ripples of etheric waters. You are an artistic expression of compassion, balance, intentional life, and that can and hopefully will keep getting better. So thank you, dear listener, for being with me as I record this most delicious topic that I so lovingly prepared for you. And I will see you again on another Rudo Love Podcast.